0: Welcome to the Equipping Webinar, where we connect discipleship, theology, and apologetics to everyday life.
1: Welcome to the October 2017 version of the Equipping Webinar. My name is Nathan. I'm the Director of Equipping and Apologetics here at Watermark Community Church. And to my right is Kirby (laughs) Wagner. Kirby just got her feet wet in women's Bible study. So if we want to give a plug to our women's Bible study people, like right now is the time to do it. So what, what was going on yesterday, Kirby?
0: So we had Thursday night women's Bible study. We're studying Second Samuel and uh, last night we were talking about Second Samuel five. So
1: who was talking about second Samuel five?
0: That would be yours truly, Kirby Wagner. <laughs> nice. I had my first up at bat. Is that what you use at the right sports yeah. term? Yeah. First swing. First swing. <laughs> And uh, it was awesome. It was really fun. Yeah,
1: I love it. Love it. So yeah, Kirby's, Kirby's going to be taking your questions. And uh, and if you are, yeah, to, to plug another a fellow equipping ministry, if you're a woman listening to this and you're uh, curious about getting involved, Wednesday, Women's Bible Study meets on Wednesday mornings at
0: 1030. 1030. Thursday nights at 7.
1: Thursday nights at 7. So we would uh, love
0: to have you. You can jump in at any time.
1: Yeah, check that out. And then uh, we're privileged to have in the studio with us today, Jeff Grandy. Jeff is a Dallas police detective and also is on staff here at Watermark with us as the director of safety and security. So, Jeff, welcome to the webinar, man.
2: Thanks for having me, man. Honor's all
1: mine. So tell us a little bit about yourself. How long have you been on the police force? What brought you down? Why why DPD? You know, kind of all that stuff.
2: Yeah. So I actually... Before moving to Dallas, I was living up in the Chicago area. I went to school up there and actually coached football up there for a couple years. And where? At uh, Wheaton College, small Christian school up there. That's what I'm talking about. To put it simply, you know, and this is the same thing I said in interviews when I was interviewing for police departments. They said, why do you want to be a police officer? And you know, the truth is, I just woke up one morning and said, man, I I feel called to law enforcement. I think maybe it could be fun and maybe I could be good at it. And here I am. Well, I knew I wanted to work for a bigger police department. I felt like there were uh, different opportunities and Dallas was the first ones crazy enough to hire me. <laughs> so I moved on down. I had nothing tying me up there at the, at the time. And, uh, that was, uh, it'll be 10 years in December.
1: Okay. Awesome, man. And you, so you started off kind of as a beat cop, right? Or a patrol. Is that the right terminology to use yeah. for that?
2: Yeah, that's, mm. that's, uh, pretty much it. Everybody starts in patrol. After uh, in Dallas, it's a eight month academy. Then they throw you out on the streets. You're usually working nights, weekends, and holidays, which I was. And uh, I did pure patrol for about three years. I was on a small uh, narcotics task force where, you know, ninety percent of what we did was just investigate drug complaints. Uh, in the southeast division includes uh, if you think if you know where Fair Park is, it's essentially everything southeast of there, Pleasant Grove, South Dallas area. And that was my first five years, and then became a burglary detective and been doing that for almost five years now.
1: Nice. Nice. Love it. Well, thanks for your service, man. We appreciate what you do. Oh, thank you. So we're going to jump right into the topic. So, we, I mean, if you were on the webinar last month with us, a lot of things have happened really in the past couple months. Um, but it, we saw a little bit of a, a theme going on here um, because evil is, is typically characterized in two different ways. One is natural evil. And those are things that are basically things that are wrong in the world that are not caused by human hands. And so we're talking about natural disasters and stuff like that. Well, obviously last month we talked about how to respond to natural disasters. So we're on the tales of Harvey and Irma and Jose and you know some of the during hurricane season. And so we uh, if you if you missed that and would like to listen to it, it's online. You can go on our webinar page and and listen to it. But it it was curious that right on the tails of that, um, something like Las Vegas happened. And I don't know if y'all were like me, but, you know, you you kind of go to bed. Probably most people go to bed earlier on Sunday night, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of getting ready for the week and stuff. And you wake up. Monday morning, I was driving to work, you know, I listened to the radio and, uh, you know, all this stuff starts breaking and, and you, you see things and you're like, hmm. I mean, a lot of times things like that kind of cause us to scratch our head and be like, what in the world is going on? You know, so which brings up the second category of evil, and that is moral evil. Moral evil are evils or things that are wrong that are perpetuated by human hands. Um, we've used the freedom that God's given to us to execute evil. And so I think I'd like to start with just this question. And, and that is, what is the biblical view of moral evil? I think a lot of times people think about these things more along the lines of like emotional type reactions to these things without setting the framework and the foundation for how we should think about them. And so in a lot of ways, and I think a lot of the emotional distress that a lot of people go through is they're attempting to try to move through the emotion of these things without having the framework and the foundation to actually deal with it. And so they're grasping for things to try to make sense of it. You know, you see some of that terminology going on. But but I think just to start us off, I mean, you open the Bible, right? And, and the Bible opens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, the earth was formless and void, and, and it goes from there. God creates everything. And then at the end of chapter one, he creates mankind in his image, right? Male and female, he created them. And and he gives us a task to do. And I think there are a bunch of different ways for how people think about mankind being made in the image of God that that expresses itself in a bunch of different ways. But one of the primary ones is that we have a will. We have the capacity to choose good or evil. And we, by chapter three of of the the kind of broad story of scripture, what's called known as the meta-narrative, and by chapter three of Genesis, we have totally gone our own way. And then what happens in chapter 4, right? <laughs> Cain is murdering his brother, right? And then by chapter 6, right? What yeah, it goes downhill fast. Yeah, really fast, to the point where the Lord, you know, the Hebrew word is naham, the Lord the Lord regrets that he did this. Right? That's in the text. And he floods the earth, right? He judges that to to start over. Again, a lot I think a lot of times people think like, oh man, this is horrible and you know, why is it so bad? When in reality, I think the biblical view of moral evil is that something happened in Genesis 3 there where we exercised our the power of our free choice to rebel against God and I mean, caused a massive rift in Obviously, our relationship between us and God, between us and ourselves individually, between us and the way we relate to other people. Obviously, that's where we see people like, you know, this guy who just lights up a crowd to the way that we interact with creation itself. And so I think it's it's really important to have that biblical view of moral evil to, to think like, hey, how should we view humanity? Should we view humanity in the sense of like, oh, everything's so great. And I've got my wife and three kids in a house in the suburbs and you know everything's hunky-dory. And so, Jeff, I'd love to hear from your perspective, like given the last 10 years of what you've been doing, how do you view people. <laughs> That's a loaded question and on purpose.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, I say all the time people never cease to amaze me in all kinds of ways, both both good and bad. Uh, but if you if you take the meta narrative of scripture and you you really look around at what's really going on, right? You don't try to hide your face from it. You don't just bury yourself in your work or whatever it is. I think it's quite clear that Well, at least I can get behind the the doctrine of total depravity. Yeah, right. It's pretty easy. The Bible's quite clear that there is nothing good in us, Hmm. right? At at the moment of the fall in in Genesis 3, from then on, if left to our own devices, Paul says in in Romans, left to our own devices, we will choose against God every single time. And that's tough for some people. To stomach, to, that's a tough pill for some people to, to swallow. Uh, I've heard Billy Graham say several times that the cross is inherently offensive mm. because it forces you to deal with the fact that you're a sinner yeah. and you nail God to a tree, yeah. right?
1: Mm. And um, that you're not God. And that you, you know? ain't Him. Yeah, yeah exactly. You need a Savior. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. And so it, we, we look at what happened in Las Vegas and the, and the depravity there. We look at what happened in Orlando. We look at what happened here in Dallas, uh, mm-hmm. in summer of 2016, and, and these horrendous things happening around the around the world, what's happening in Syria and these places. But we forget that, hey, when I don't speak kindly to my wife, that is just as much a sin. Mm-hmm. And this is happening everywhere yeah. in everybody's life all the time. Mm-hmm. If you trespass against one part of the law, you've broken the whole thing, the Bible says. It is purely by God's grace that I'm not Steven Paddock. Mm-hmm. I, I have to constantly remind myself of that. It is purely by by God's grace that I'm not beating up my wife, mm-hmm. that I'm not Micah Johnson, that I'm, you know, the the guy who shot those officers. Right. Anything good in me is Christ working in me. Right. I have to constantly remind myself of
1: that. I think there's a difference between because cause some people might be listening to that and be like, you know, I'm I've never even thought about murdering fifty-eight people, you know, in, in cold right. blood. Yep. And I think that there's a we, we want to distinguish between our condition as being sinful people and also the the consequences of our behavioral sin. So if we're only thinking about sin in the sense of, well, I just did that, right? Then then that's an underdeveloped doctrine of human fallenness and sin. I mean, so I think we're right to go to the heart of the issue and be like, hey, no, all of us in our hearts are disoriented away from God. Now. I think the caveat to that is not all of us have made the types of decisions that someone like Stephen Paddock has made mm-hmm. over the years, years of formation and development right. that would bring us to a point where we're reaping the types of things that we've that have been sowed for years and maybe even decades. Right. 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 So I know we were we've been talking about this since this happened. So you take a child who is four years old, like, so Nate's four years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody has convinced me that he's a sinner. He absolutely is a sinner, Mm -hmm. period. And I think that the same disease that was in Adolf Hitler and Stephen Paddock and Micah Johnson and all these guys, that same disease is in my son, is in me, is in you, is in Kirby, It's in in all of us. However, there are various stages of development in regard to our uh, fallenness. And so Adolf Hitler who is making really poor choices for a long time, right? And then also gets into a a position where he's able to exercise his fallenness on a global scale. Whereas my four-year-old, is able to exercise his fallenness on a very, very, very small scale. That's going to get him a spanking. You, you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so the same disease is there both times, but it's being exercised in different ways, depending on yeah. uh, kind of that level of depravity. Yeah. yeah,
2: a building is is built one brick at a time,
1: yep. so to speak. So I think we want to contrast and really put down both of the extremes, which would view humanity as – Hey, everything's hunky-dory. Like I can't believe anybody would ever do anything horrible. To that person, I think we would say, no, it's worse than that. And also, you're worse than that. You know, I mean, I I think that um, until we begin to realize that we actually, like you said, by God's grace, only by God's grace, I'm not this, or I've I haven't done these things. And then we also want to want to also put down the other extreme that is of everything's totally gone to crap. Like Mm -hmm. this is totally helpless. There's no hope. You know, we're like, no, we're, we're still made in the image of God. Like God is still moving. There's still tremendous hope in the midst of it. Yeah, totally. Totally. So how have you as a police officer seen, like unpack a couple of those experiences for us? Like one where, where you would say, you know, man, by God's grace, I'm not this. And then maybe another one where you were surprised by, man, someone did this and that That was amazing.
2: Well, I'll tell you one quick story. I remember being in a hospital, responded to a call where a a baby had just died, Mm -hmm. right? So of course the police have to come in. It was clearly some sort of blunt force trauma, and so we get called to the hospital. and And to make a very long story short, little pieces of information start coming out just over time. You know, Mm -hmm. this, this whole thing takes hours. But all of a sudden, it dawns on us, you know, the the child abuse detective is there, everybody's there. It dawns on us that what had happened was dad was caring for the baby, and the baby just wouldn't stop crying, and it just drove dad crazy, and he till he finally just slammed it on the ground, mm-hmm. killed killed the baby, mm-hmm. right? And in that moment, I had to pull another police officer off of dad. Yeah. I mean, it's just enraging, and I was enraged. I mean, it's real easy, and especially when you when you do this every day, and you're constantly looking at people beating their wives, you're constantly looking at people doing this, that, and the other thing, and it's real easy to start saying, "Well, one storyline that you create in your mind is we're the good guys and they're the bad guys," and in a sense, that's true, but in a deep way, you need to guard against that. Like, mm-hmm. hey, I, I need to constantly remind myself I'm a sinner too. Yeah, uh, and. Jesus died for that man just as much as he died for me because mm-hmm. he loves him just as much as he loves me. Yeah. And I need to constantly remind myself, Titus 3, hey, I was once that sinner mm-hmm. controlled by my passions. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing but by the grace of God that one step at a time, laying one brick at a time, mm-hmm. he's, he's led me down another path. Mm-hmm. And one step at a time, that man was led down another path right, right until he, he became that.
1: Which is why our everyday decisions matter so much. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah
2: they, yeah. they say you're always in every little decision. You're either getting better or you're getting worse.
1: Yeah. Right? yeah.
2: There's an old cliche I used to use as a football coach, but it's true. Yeah. Right. It's, I always say football is a microcosm for life. <laughs> right? It's true.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, you look at uh, the floods and in, in, I know this is uh, more natural evil, but it created some moral evil. The floods down in Houston, you hear of people going down there on their own time to, to help. Risking disease, risking their themselves to help, and that's awesome. Mm-hmm. brings out the best in people sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But then you also hear of people taking advantage of that to just rob other people blind. Right. You also hear of people faking like they're in trouble to get people to come help them, just so they can rob them blind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you're like, man, this stuff, controversy and and stresses bring out either the best or the worst in people.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. totally,
2: mm-hmm. no doubt.
1: Yeah, and I think too, I was listening to a lecture one time. By this woman who's done a lot of social justice uh, initiative work. And, and uh, she said something that's always stuck with me that a lot of times when people are being oppressed or they're being the one, they're, they're the victims in the situation kind of getting at your point that you have to guard against the black and white, good, but good guy, bad guy mentality is that a lot of times the people who are like, I'm the good guy, I'm the good guy. And this is bad happening to me. In fact, the vast majority of the time when people get out from under that oppression or, or stop being the victims victim, they typically turn around and victimize someone else. So like Mm. the, the way she said it was the oppressed become the oppressors, Mm. unless there's some sort of intervention in their lives. Kind of the, the adage we use around here a lot of times in pastoral ministry is, is hurt people hurt people. And that really is true. I think it gets at the, it's, it's a lot more nuanced and, and g- gray than just the, well, I'm the good guy, that guy's the bad guy, all right, ready, go. I think it's a lot more of like, no, I think all of us, the bi- I think the biblical viewpoint is, mm-hmm. no, all of us are fallen mm-hmm. and we're making choices that are either conforming to the will of God, which is good. So God is good. Are you conforming to his good standard or are we making decisions that are against the will of God, which by definition is evil? or bad. And so I think that's a a much better way to to look at it as opposed to the, the blanket statement, good guy versus bad guy, Mm -hmm. you know? Yep. So when we start talking about how do you actually respond To these things. So July 7, 2016, or the shootings we've seen around the country, obviously the latest one um, being a a major one in Las Vegas. Um, And I think as we talk about how do we respond to things like that, you see the standard, well, we have to legislate things, we have to, you know, the government's the answer and, Mm. you know, those types of things. And then, and then you have other people that are like, one initiative that I heard recently was, we're going to encourage everybody to do something nice for someone today or something like that. And, and so as we start to think about how we're responding to this. So not just what it is, but how we're responding to it. We typically have seen in the tradition of the church, there's a theological framework for how this works out. And I think it begins and is sustained by and ends with how do we image God? What is God like? How does God respond to evil? And so one, I think we need to understand the character and the nature of God. What is he like? And I think that first, he's slow to anger. He is the type of of God who is going to tolerate a certain level of evil for the greater good of the salvation of humanity. And so against any kind of flash in the pan type response of like, okay, I got to do this. We got to do this immediately. You see the Lord all the way through the Old Testament and, and the new who is patient with people. He's patient. He's not jumping to, to something before that action is due. And so he, he's, he wants everyone to experience life. I mean, you see this all the way through scripture and, you know, Ezekiel 18, Ezekiel 33, 1 Timothy 2, 2 Peter 3. Um, he wants people to be saved. And, and yet even though he's slow to anger and he wants people to be saved, that doesn't mean that he doesn't get angry, right? He do, he does, and he will execute justice, but he won't execute justice before the time is right. And then I think even in God executing justice, what we're seeing is that through his justice, he's restoring everything, which you see like in Isaiah 19 And so, just having that theological framework of how should we respond to these moral evils gives us a view for hey, this is what God's like. And so, we should, in some ways, like emulate that. And that ultimately has turned into, when we talk about this on a cultural and a social level, has turned into police government executing war against Mm -hmm. other societies that are infringing upon it and gets into the whole just war theory. We don't have to necessarily go through all that right now, but that's the basis of all of those things. So I think if that's the theological framework for responding to evil, Jeff, what do you think is a Christian's responsibility Mm -hmm. in dealing with moral evil? Sure.
2: Well, I'll tell you, probably around the four or five year mark for me on the Dallas Police Department, I was... (sighs) I, I was experiencing burnout. I was, I was experiencing this just kind of running myself ragged mm. feeling burning my candle, at both ends. And part of that was, I mean, just to speak very frankly, I think I was developing the savior complex. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I would sit at home on the weekend thinking, man, this last week, I tried to help a, a little girl who'd just been sexually assaulted. Mm. And then I'm, I'm sitting at home thinking, man, that's probably happening right now somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: That could be happening right now. And I'm doing nothing. Mm. Right. So, that, and that what I found is that, man, I'd go to work and I would just sprint. Mm. Right. And I would just sprint and sprint and I'd work hard and I'd work overtime. It didn't matter. I was single and it just didn't matter. Everything was work because I thought I was making a difference. Right. I was mm-hmm. out there. I'm going to save the world. Right. Yeah. One person at a time. And, what I had to conclude before I just drove myself insane was that, man, God's got this, not me. What I had to finally pull back on and, and remind myself of is that, man, these these problems seem big to us. As I've heard Jeff Ward say this before. These are big to me. But they're small for God. These mm-hmm. are small problems for God, mm-hmm. and they're not that they're small to God. Like you said, man, yep, I think yep. He gets incredibly
1: angry. He's strong enough to handle them. Angry
2: at, at sin, yeah. Yeah. but it's small for God. Yeah, right. And my job is to work my eight-hour shift to the best of my ability, with as much excellence as I can, and go home yeah. and leave it to God. Yeah, and you know, I pray. And a huge turning point for me. I was carrying the weight of people's hurt. I think, and there's two responses to that. You can continue to do it and drive yourself into the ground, essentially, or the other bad response to that is you become hard-hearted yep. and you just shut it off. And that's that's certainly a it's sign kind of, of a, compassion fatigue. Yeah, can,
1: yeah, I was gonna say compassion
2: fatigue. Um, yeah. You see. You know, not not all, but man, there are a lot of police officers who have been in patrol for thirty years, mm. and a lot of them are on anti-anxiety meds. Yep. And some of them look like they should be on anti-anxiety meds mm-hmm. because I, I think they're not dealing with this healthfully. Uh, the divorce rate is is huge in the police community. Mm-hmm. Suicide rate. We are losing the battle of suicide within the police uh, community because of this. Yeah. Uh, because we're either carrying it too far with us. Or we're just becoming hard hearted and turning compassion off. And and what Jesus does from what I see is he's always got compassion. But he reminds me that's not hey, that's not your your load to carry. That's yeah. not your burden to bear. Your job is to be faithful where you are. Yeah. Your job is just to ask, hey, what would God have me do right now? And yeah. sometimes it's being a shoulder to cry on, mourning with those who mourn. Sometimes it's taking somebody to jail. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's it's giving them some tough love if, if that's what they ask for. But my job is just be faithful and then trust that eventually God is going to resurrect this and redeem mm-hmm. this. And it's mm-hmm. going to be, he's got, it. he's in control Yeah, and yeah. he loves these people more than I ever could. Yeah.
1: Well, let's double click on that compassion fatigue mm-hmm. concept, which I think is, is the more that these things happen, the more, you know, I've, I've, I've recently heard someone just say like, yeah, hey, I feel numb to kind of this stuff. Like when, when 58 people are murdered, in cold blood in Las Vegas, there's a little bit of like, oh, that's horrible, but also kind of a little bit of like a internal shoulder shrug. Like, well, that's just kind of the way the world is, you know? And some people may experience some of that fatigue where it's like, I know I should feel worse about this than I actually do. And so there can be some tension created in their soul about that. Mm. Um, What would you tell someone who's experiencing that? Sure. I would say, man,
2: I think it's a good sign that you have compassion for those victims. I think that's that's a, a God-given feeling. God certainly has compassion for those victims. I, I think he hates, again, it angers him, the effects of sin on this earth. But I would tell him, hey, pray for him. You know, if you have, if you know somebody, by all means, be there for him, mourn with those who mourn. Like I say, do what you can for them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, again, that's not your burden to bear. Like it's, it's okay to not sit around feeling sad for weeks after a a massive shooting like that. You shouldn't. Your job is to get up, love your family, go to work. Uh, what what does Jesus say? Love the Lord, your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love others as yourself. And you know what? Leave the rest to him.
1: Yeah. And and there's commands in the new Testament as well as like, Hey, you know, God's command is to live a quiet life. Yeah. Work, with your hands. work with your hands be content with with what he's given you and I think so for me as a some of the listeners may not know some of you do some of you don't but prior to being here at Watermark I was an infantry officer in in the army and was in Afghanistan a couple times and I definitely experienced that com- that compassion fatigue and that was that was a very real thing in my life I would say that it moved in stages for me it was it started off maybe with compassion fatigue because you're just there are way, I think it started off by realizing there's way too many problems here for any one person to solve. Absolutely. I just can't do it all. There's, there's countless, you know, problems. And I think when you go into a situation like that, you want to, because you're like, man, I've, this needs to be whole Absolutely. and it's not whole. And that bothers me. Yeah, We, have,
2: we do have a sense
1: of justice that. that God no doubt. Us. Yeah, no doubt. And yet I think it moved for me as we started doing patrols and I started seeing that it was a lot more complex than just like, like I said, the good guy, bad guy thing. And, you know, well, no, actually some of this is these people are sewing these types of behaviors and they're reaping what they're sowing. Mm-hmm. And like Paddock, I mean, he, he sowed a lot of things that were not wise and he reaped judgment for it. And that's not mine to carry. Like you said, that's, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not supposed to carry that yeah. burden. Yeah. Um,
2: and I feel, I feel compassion, man. That man must've been living in torture totally for who knows how long. Yep. You know, on that on that road to that shooting. Yep. I feel compassion for him too. But again,
1: yep.
2: he is going to reap what he sows. Galatians six. Yep. It's not mine to carry.
1: Yep. That's right. And I think for me, it moved from compassion fatigue. And then I just started getting jaded. I was more just like, all right, here we go again. But I think I settled in as that pendulum swung back and forth. I think I settled into a more into a healthy position that was like, okay, I'm realizing that the problems that people experience in Afghanistan are basically the same problems that we experience here. Mm. They have a different outworking. Mm. I, I began to see a lot of myself in the problems that were there. And I think when I started to settle into that type of mentality, I was able to do my job a lot better. You know, one, I wasn't I wasn't trying to carry the responsibility for everybody. And two, I I think I was able to just be like, all right, Lord, well, you've put these people in front of me today. And I need to be faithful with what you've given me. And then go sleep soundly at night. Unless we got rocketed. (laughs) And you got woke up. But but I mean, but sleep as soundly as you can at night. And I think there's a lot to be said for that. Kirby,
0: we actually have two questions. So the first one you can probably answer in a second, but it is how do you explain to a non-believer that their sin is no worse than another person's? And I think the real question here is how do you even engage a non-believer in this kind of conversation?
1: I think the first thing I would do is I would, uh, for a non-believer, I probably would not turn to Romans and start to use theological terms like sin and depravity and fallenness and stuff like that. You know, I would I would connect with what is real in their experience. So I would use, I would use terms like brokenness, discord, things like that. Like, Hey, you know, if every, everybody feels uh, a, a sense of, of brokenness in their lives, Hey, have you ever felt that before? You know, and unless they're just lying through their teeth, they're going to be honest and be like, yeah, I have, there are parts of my life that are broken. You know, it's like, okay, great. Now we've actually, without saying it, we've just agreed that that person's a sinner. Mm -hmm. you know? And then, and then I think you can have the conversation like we did previously, where it's like, well, so what would happen if you just allowed that brokenness to run unchecked in your life for the rest of your life? What would that look like? Mm -hmm. So asking open-ended questions like that, where you're engaging the conversation with people, you're, you're asking them for more information. And then a lot of times, uh, it's it's self-revelatory. I mean, they're they're going to come to realize by themselves that that doesn't look good mm-hmm. you know and with the full realization that look not all of us are going to be steven paddock you mm-hmm. know even if even if unchecked we run Absolutely. totally out of control we're probably not going to go murder 58 people with bump stock assault rifles so but understanding that that hey that brokenness in your life may not have that expression but it could and and most of the time does in people's lives end in murdered marriages mm-hmm. you know in murdered relationships and mm-hmm. and like yeah. the the tension that people feel. So anything you would add to that, Jeff? Yeah. With
2: a, with an unbeliever who's trying to wrap their minds around this, I wouldn't, especially not in the first conversation, I wouldn't try to, to lead them to conclude, man, my sin is just as evil and horrendous as Stephen Paddock's, but I would definitely want them to recognize, but you're still a sinner. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I would come away from that conversation thinking that was a win. If I, if I opened this guy's eyes up to the fact that he needs a savior because he
1: sinned. Yep. Right. One, one great book I read recently, and by recently it was last year, so is uh, by, name slips in my mind right now, but it's called uh, Christianity Beyond Belief. And Hunter, I believe is the guy's name. But he writes in his book that, because uh, a lot of times we ask when doing evangelism, we talk about, hey, if you were to die tonight, you know, how mm-hmm. certain are you that, that you would go to heaven and, and on a scale of one to 10, um, those kind of things. And I think a good question you can ask someone to get at the same thing to realize their sinfulness and stuff. is just to ask him an open-ended question like, Hey, if the broken areas of your life were to play out over and over and over again for the rest of not just your life, but for eternity, like if you didn't ever die, mm-hmm would you want to live that kind of life
0: yeah that's really good
1: and and i think that that's that gets people thinking along those lines where it's like hey because a lot of times we put terminators on them and we're like well but yeah it's broken but i can deal with brokenness for for another 20 30 years but it's like but what if it lasted for forever Mm -hmm. and i think that's the biblical narrative is you're becoming that kind of person right so it the some of those open-ended questions i've found to be very effective
0: yeah. So here's another one. And it's a question about the media. And it says, why are we in the media so focused on the criminal, not the crime, not the victims? Why does it seem that there's so much focus on the motive in the life of the killer when this seems to be giving them the tension that they wanted in the first place? This is kind of a question that floats around every time that there's some kind of person causing mass destruction anywhere.
2: Sure. Well, I, the short answer, I think, is that it's because it sells. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. Because, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, in our humanness that fascinates us and that's what we're going to tune in to to hear
1: about yeah yeah, I mean it's just, it's kind of the question of uh, I mean I know people have asked me before and it's 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 always awkward when they do because you, you're just like really and um, Jeff you've gotten similar questions I'm sure but a lot of times people will hear oh you were an infantry officer in, in Afghanistan and the one thing they want to know is did you have to kill anybody right and that and why why like mm-hmm. why do people want to know that well because it satisfies their curiosity mm-hmm. you know, that's and I'm um, similar questions to you I'm sure you that's know all the time yeah so have you ever shot anybody yeah
2: that's that's one of the first questions or tell me your, tell me your craziest story that yeah, comes up all the time. Totally. And in my mind, I'm always like, you don't, <laughs> you don't, you don't wanna... know what you're asking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and frankly, I would say, Hey, if, if you have to ask that, you know, I get it. I totally understand why you, you wonder that, why you ask that. I would just say, Hey, be, just be mindful that there are human beings on the other side of that, that might be really wrestling with something that they mm-hmm. were a part of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might not be fully healthy with everything that they've experienced and, and and done and everything. So just be
1: mindful of those things. Yeah. And things typically get glorified. I mean, they get glorified in the media. So there's a sense of celebrity status almost. If, if you've been a part of something traumatic like that, typically when you get around guys who, especially in the infantry and, and start to tell stories, then there's a lot of sense of like that kind of inner human nature of, I need to one up you, you know? (laughs) And, uh, I remember General McChrystal, Stan, Stan McChrystal was the four star when I was over there and he came and talked to us one time and he was like, Hey guys, most of you guys are going to be in a bar in 50 years with your buddies, throwing a few back, telling war stories. And he was like, and those stories then are going to be a lot better than they are now. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <It gets better laughs> and then, Every time you tell, yeah, it totally gets better and better. And I, so I think that part is part of that is just like human nature. But I do think, and I think the point, the point you make is, is well taken Jeff that that I think people just need to understand that there's a difference between kind of the Hollywood version of this that we like to glorify and push out and stuff like that and the actual real thing. Mm-hmm. Like when you really do encounter moral evil in these types of traumatic ways, there's nothing pretty about it. The, the sight of it, the smell of it, Mm -hmm. the feel of, of what it, you know, looks like I was telling you all the other day. I mean, the feel of, of there being so much blood on your hand that you can't get a grip on the tourniquet to put it on the guy's leg. You don't forget those things. They stick Mm -hmm. with you. And, and so I think that whoever is fascinated with that just needs a, a good kind of dose of reality mm. to know that that's, there's a difference between the ideal of, or the glorification of it in your mind and the actual
0: real thing. Yeah. Another question. So this is kind of a question of what's our individual responsibility versus the responsibility of the government yeah. and good. and especially with legislation and gun control and oh. how should we deal with that? How should mm. we talk about it? Mm.
1: You know, it's interesting. And in, a lot of times uh, I'm glad this question was asked cuz I I meant to say this earlier and didn't but a lot of times people quote Romans chapter 12 and and uh, and at the end of Romans 12 Paul makes a statement and he's actually quoting the old testament where he says, uh, vengeance belongs to the Lord, right? The Lord says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. A lot of times people, we like to proof text that and pull it out of context and be like, see, you shouldn't do anything because vengeance belongs to the Lord. And and, and in the sense of, hey, should we be retributive to every single personal act of injustice against us? No. I mean, on an individual level, I think Jesus is saying, hey, you know, you turn the other cheek. If someone has wronged you in some way, then you turn the other cheek. But if an evil is being executed against a society, a people, a family even, right? Then that doesn't mean you just like bail and go off the other way, right? Mm-hmm. Because, and this is the point, is there didn't used to be chapter and verse divisions in the books mm-hmm. of the Bible, right? Well, what what comes right after the end of Romans chapter 12? <laughs>
0: Romans, Romans chapter
1: 13. 13 that's right. <laughs> and what does verses one through three say in Romans 13, right? Right. Is God has given the sword to the government, right? And so I think in in a lot of ways, I think you know we do execute the justice of God through His appointed people, and that is the government. So, which obviously includes the police and the military and and stuff like that. So, what what would you say to that, Jeff?
2: Well, you stole a lot of my thunder,
1: Nate. <laughs> but, but yeah. We'll unpack it a little I, more for yeah.
2: Us. So Romans thirteen is is where you ha- you have to immediately go to help answer this question. And it also brings up the question of why isn't God stopping evil, right? It, you hear about things like the the shooting in Las Vegas, like, man, why isn't, why isn't God restraining evil? Why these kinds of questions? And, and actually he is, he's, he's restraining evil yeah. to, to a tremendous yeah. extent. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we know, the, the foggiest, just how much evil he is in fact restraining. And one of the the biggest ways he does that is through the government that he has appointed, Romans 13. The political leaders that he has put into place, the governments and the systems that he has put into place on mm-hmm. purpose as his temporary arm of justice to restrain evil on this earth. Right. And I, I think a very quick question will illustrate this very well. Let's just use Dallas. Hey, if, if the mayor, Mike Rawlings, said right now hey we're we're laying off everybody all of uh, all police mm-hmm. dallas pd dallas sheriffs office everybody i think it leads to reason everybody would agree it'd be chaos by nightfall <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah right and i'm not trying to pump up you know police and how great yeah, we are yeah. it's just the way it is yep. right people
1: know there are consequences for their actions yeah
2: yep. that's ex- i mean that the fear of the sword mm-hmm. the fear of uh, punished by government, restrains, restrains a lot of moral evil. evil, Yep, a lot of moral evil. They're constantly looking over their shoulder, at least criminals are, mm-hmm. uh, the, the wicked flee even when no man pursueth, right? Righteousness balls the line. But then to, to your point about Romans 12, vengeance is the Lord. And I think we can use that on an individual, uh, level. So what's the difference between government and individual responsibility, man? I think if somebody's kicking in your door in the middle of the night, I don't think you're sinning by defending yourself and your family, yep. right? Because God is a God of justice and we should reflect that. Yeah. And if you are the first line of defense in that moment against this moral evil, I believe that you are justified in defending yourself with appropriate force, defending yourself and your family.
1: Yeah. Our uh, government says that too.
2: Our government. Yeah. And in the system that God has set
1: up. Said you better defend your house. You better defend your house.
2: You are within yep. your rights. Yep. That's right. However, let's say I come home today and my house was—I'm broken a burglary detective, so this is what I think about. Um, hmm. Let's—if I come home today and my house was broken into, it's not my job as an individual to go hunt this guy down. Mm-hmm. It is, you know, it is responsible of me to make a police report and let the police do what they can. Yeah, right. It, does that mm-hmm. does that mm-hmm. help draw the? Some boundaries, yep. see some lines in that.
1: Man, people take uh, Matthew 5 uh, out of context all the time. Um, so Jesus is teaching, he's teaching a bunch of villagers how to live with one another. You know what I'm saying? And, and so when he says, you know, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer him your left one as well on an individual level. Then I think Jesus is saying, look, if you're wronged by a fellow villager and you're the where, the place that you live, if you have that emotional response inside of you, that is I'm going to get you. Then Jesus is saying you need to kill that. Turn your other cheek to him as well. But I don't think Jesus, in any way, shape, or form, is going. Hey, if ISIS is invading your country, then you should just like step aside. And if they shoot your right arm, then you should offer him your left. Like that's totally not what he's talking about. And so, um, but then I would also say if if someone begins to act on you in a way that is physically threatening you or is threatening your family, then God has instituted the government to give us a way to, hey, you can defend yourself. And I think we ought to pay attention to that.
0: So what would you say specifically about gun control and that Mm -hmm. kind of legislation and that being the means through which these events are going to stop happening?
1: This is one of the hot topic buttons that gets pushed a lot, especially when these types of things happen. Mm -hmm. The only thing I would say. And that is, you know, I don't think there's any amount of legislation that's going to stop someone who's dead hell bent on doing something to prevent that person from doing that. So when we have the conversation, we need to have the conversation in a way that's productive, where both sides are actually listening to one another and are finding common ground that we can land on in order to do something that's actually helpful versus this is my entrenched position this is my entrance position and we're just going to like argue with each other about it. That's not Mm -hmm. helpful. That, that would be what I would say.
2: You are never going to legislate your way out of evil. Yep. It just doesn't, you know, we talked the other day, Russia's a communist country and, and they just caught a couple there that had been, eating people alive Mm -hmm. for years, right? Mm -hmm. Russia's controlling every area of everybody's life as much as they can. And evil is happening. Murders Mm -hmm. are happening. Uh, You're not going to legislate your way um, out of moral evil and and save everybody. And and I think sometimes, not to get too political about it, because I do think there needs to be reasonable gun control, reasonable Mm -hmm. gun laws. But I think sometimes, a point that Nate brought up earlier, people look to government as as the savior, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh man, yeah. they should be doing more. They should be doing more. They should, Well, you know, and we had this term around here, draw a circle around yourself first. What are you doing? With, how are you being faithful with what's right in front of you to change or to redirect the moral compass of your country, right. of your neighborhood, mm-hmm. of your community?
1: So Daryl Bach, who's been a guest on here before, um, wrote a book called How Would Jesus Vote? And um, he actually, in that book, he, he talks about this, where if laws were the answer, then the Old Testament should be the cleanest book ever written, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have a perfect God giving Israel perfect laws, and what did they do? They did everything, everything, yeah, yeah the exact opposite of, of all so of that. that. So, it, I mean, that just drives home the point. Like, like laws are good; they are they they need to be in place. They are mm-hmm. um, tools that God has given us to restrain evil, but they are not. God, nor are they the savior of our actual problem, Mm -hmm. which is our rebellion against God. So Let's shift gears a little bit and talk just real practically, Jeff, because some of our listeners, I mean, I think there's another sense that I've had as well in all of this is the more that these things like Vegas are happening and with more frequency, and it seems like with a little more creativity to inflict Mm. more of a mass casualty type situation. um, I I think the sense of, hey, it's not out of the question that I could find myself in a situation like this. So what do you say to somebody like that? Let's say all of the listeners here, we're all at a concert here in Dallas or whatever, and something like that happens. What do you do? Yep. Good. Well, first of all, good for you for thinking,
2: thinking that way, saying, man, I, yep. I'm responsible to think about this and what would I do? Right. Uh, and not just burying your head in the sand saying, well, it, it'll never happen to me. For the longest time, the Department of Public Safety was pushing out this thing called run, hide, fight. In active shooter situations and, mm-hmm. and bomb threats and these kinds of things, and I think that's good. They're actually shifting to a different strategy now. It's it's ADD is an acronym for avoid, deny, defend, and I think I think the shift is good. It's almost the same thing. If you know run, hide, fight, mm-hmm. you know eighty or ninety percent of mm-hmm. of ADD. But I think these new terms are a little more encompassing, and and the attitude or the strategy is a little more proactive mm-hmm. instead of just purely. On your heels, defensive kind right, of deal. Right. Avoid being obviously. If it sets off, you need to get out of. There. Get
1: out of the kill box. Get yep. the heck yep.
2: out of there. Yep. It, but that also includes, man. As I walk into this venue, or as I walk into this room, as I walk into this conference center, whatever it is, just be aware of your
1: surroundings. Yes, it's good. Uh,
2: where are the exits? Be aware of the fact that if I'm indoors or even even outdoors, but but it's kind of closed off and there are designated exits. Be aware of the fact that when this goes off. These are going to be funnels and you're not going to get out fast. Mm -hmm. It's going to slow down at these exit points. Just be aware of your surroundings would include the avoid part. Deny, of course, if you can't run outside, if you can't just totally get out of there, find a room, find something to to hide behind, uh, but not just sitting there. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you're in a room, so, so for example, this type of room, this door opens outward. If we were hiding in here denying in here, I might find a cinch. I might take off my belt, uh, uh, make a cinch and pull on that thing to make sure, you know, I've got reinforcements. You're
1: denying access,
2: deny yeah. access, right. Okay. Or I might shove a, uh, if it opens inward, I might shove a, the desk up in front of it. Something mm-hmm. along those lines. Mm-hmm. Don't stand in front of the door. Yeah. Let's go through doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. that's right. Um, and well, I mean, people don't think of that. Yeah. Right. right. Uh, don't hide. And this might sound goofy, but I would say it's because you haven't been in the situation and we have found people are doing this in these, in these cases. Mm-hmm. Don't think that crouching down in a corner in plain sight is hiding. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Think about those things. Yeah. And then the last one is defend. Hey, if, if all else fails, if he finds you and all these things, hey, or she, for, or she, excuse <laughs> me, I'm sorry. Women's right.
1: Sorry, Kirby. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh,
2: if he or she finds you, uh, man, fight for your life. Yeah. Uh, God loves you. God values you so much that he was willing to die for you. There is inherent value and and you are worth fighting for. Fight for your life. Mm
1: That's good, man. Yeah. I think, and what's funny is I think for people who have been in those types of situations, the more you do pay attention to your surroundings, the more you do kind of scan and see around here, we call it DLRs, right? Doesn't look, that that just doesn't look right. Paying attention to those things. And that doesn't mean you have to live in fear. I mean, um, at all. I mean, I think you call it, uh, other people's, uh, have designated it like greens, yellows, and reds, Mm -hmm. as far as like your posture of awareness. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think that yellow of just like being situationally aware, but not not overly tense, you know, is, is good. Just to, just so you know, like, Hey, I'm, you know, if I'm going into a place like one time, I actually was right after a deployment. If Margaret's listening to this, she's going to laugh. But right after my first deployment, after a very kinetic deployment of a lot of craziness going down, I come back to the U S and we move into our new little home or whatever in Colorado Springs. And Margaret's like, let's go to Ikea, you know, and I've never been to Ikea before. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I mean, all right, sure. I'd heard they had ice cream at the end of the, you know, <laughs> mine or whatever. So I was like, yeah, ice cream. So we go to Ikea. Well, within five minutes of being in Ikea, I am acutely aware that there are no windows. Mm. There is no exit. And like, it, it is a, is a funnel for Mm. the worst possible situation. And so I just told Margaret, I got to get out of here like right now. And so I went back the way I came and then out the door and then went back to the exit where I waited on her for her to come and, and ate my ice cream. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) But you just become aware, like things become second nature, like, Hey, just pay attention to what's around you, you know? And then the thing I would add to what you said is, Um, In the military, they call it the cover and concealment. So Mm -hmm, when you're mm -hmm. avoiding or when you're uh, denying, then um, get to cover where, and cover is something that's actually going to stop a, bu- a bullet, right? right? right. So a, a, a concrete barrier or you know, another room or something like that. And then if that if, if cover is not available, then get to concealment. So I saw on some videos from Las Vegas, there were some tents set up mm-hmm. and some people ran underneath the tents. Well, this tent is not going to stop a bullet, but it will conceal yeah. that you're actually standing under there. And so those are good things to think about as well. And I, and I would just say, like, don't live in fear of this stuff, but be ready. Um, Yeah. Don't stop going to concerts. Yeah. Don't totally for sure. Totally.
2: Don't drive yourself crazy with this stuff either. Just, just some situational awareness Think little things like, man, when you walk into the, Parking garage, when you're exiting the mall, don't mm-hmm. have your head buried in your phone. Totally. Just know who's around. Yep. Little things.
1: That's good. That's good. We always try to end these things with more of a devotional note. And I think that the the great thing about all this to tie the kind of the biblical narrative and framework together in addressing moral evil is, especially when people ask, you know, why, why isn't God restraining evil more? And, and I think your point is really well made, Jeff, that, um, hey, I don't think we can know how much evil he's restraining all the time like all the time and so he is he is working and moving in his sovereignty but i think that you know jesus says something in john 14 9 where one of his disciples is like hey jesus show us the father and and it will be enough for us and and jesus says something really fascinating where he looks back at him he's like have i been with you for so long and still you don't know if you've seen me you've seen the father and so jesus is the exact representation of his father. And so I think that a lot of times we read the Gospels and we see we can misrepresent Jesus by making him kind of a Mr. Rogers, everybody just love one another kind of figure. That is not the Jesus of Scripture. Mm. But two, he is a suffering servant. I mean, he is someone who comes and and dies and absorbs in a very real sense, like a sponge, I've said before, like he absorbs like the sponge, all of the evil and then kills it. But he's also a warrior king. And that's the part that a lot of times gets left out of these types of conversations is that Jesus is confronting evil. He is absorbing it through his atoning death on the cross, and then he's killing it through his resurrection and, and ultimately will um, return not as a suffering servant any longer, but as a warrior on a white horse, who's going to judge the nations. And so I think that with all of us, our, our hope is always in, the cross and the empty tomb of jesus that that is the final word on evil Mm -hmm. that it has been defeated and that god now is is moving through these things that we've been talking about for the last hour to Continue to suppress it while he's uh, while he's saving the ones who would come. See John one twelve right. He's suppressing evil while he's saving those who would come. But and and he's slow in his and impatient in his anger. But ultimately, let's well, not mince words. He will judge the nations. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I think our question is, um, hey, what can we do today to be faithful to God in a world that is fallen and also to image the life of jesus to people who are far from him so jeff thanks for your time dude thanks for having i really appreciate it it's always fun to have a friend on here and just hang out you guys have a great weekend and we will see you next time thank you for listening to the equipping webinar
0: connecting discipleship theology and apologetics to everyday life